Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church invites you to join us every Sunday morning at 10.30 for worship, the Word, and fellowship. If you would like more information, or if you'd like to give to help further the ministry of Way Family Church, visit us online at wayfamily.church. Now get your Bibles ready and let's dive in. So let's open to James. And before we, uh, before we get started, let me just remind you where we recently started in this book, right? Uh, last week we took a break. Weston brought a message that I thought was really great. He did a really good job just talking about the law of retaliation and how we ought to respond as Christians, right, as Jesus followers, and how sometimes we instinctively we have the urge to retaliate, to pay back, uh, eye for an eye, right? Um, so he did a really good job displaying that. We took a break there from James, but it's, I think I find it's so interesting that this passage today kind of ties into that as well. And before we get into, though, into it, though, I do want to give you a little recap. First things first. Uh, we started with, uh, the, 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 obviously, chapter 1, and in chapter 1 we looked at trials, different trials, uh, and turning those into triumph. And these were more about outward trials, the things that happen in life, circumstances that we have to face. And James gives us really practical instructions on how to respond to that. He says, count, no, let, ask, meaning have a joyful attitude. Consider that these trials are actually a good thing for you, and not necessarily something that's against you, but rather something that's for you. No have an understanding mind that faith is always tested don't be surprised at trials don't be surprised to go through difficult times especially as believers know that you will be tested and um, let let these trials refine you let these trials mature you don't run away from them don't necessarily try to avoid them but at the same time don't run into them right Uh, but allow them to to just mature you as God would want you to mature and then ask meaning have a believing heart ask the Lord for wisdom while you're going through these trials very practical I encourage you to go back and reread uh, these first few verses that was 1 through 12 and then after that James addresses the trials within so first the trials without right the outward ones the next one's within and that was in, in the sense or in the form of temptation temptation comes from the within temptation comes by our own desires and he gives us a nice little roadmap on how we can uh, be warned or, or we can really see these temptations coming and how we should respond to them and uh, it was really more of a preventative like you can prevent falling into temptation but we're all going to face temptation right and so it starts with desire that desire that the, the the need the want to f- have something fulfilled really think about it that's what temptation is you want something and sometimes it, it looks like it's a good thing it can be a good thing but the way that you go about it could be wrong you're cutting corners you're cheating right that's the temptation that we have to just get to the thing that we desire so it starts with that desire and that's from within right but then there's also the deception and James does a good job as explaining it kind of like the lure and the hook, a deception. Like a fish doesn't see the hook, it sees the worm on the hook, and it's very desirable, right? So deception, what it does is it keeps us from seeing the consequence of that very thing that we're desiring, or the beans about coming to that, right? So James says, hey, you got the desire, watch it, check it, watch out for the deception, but then... There's the final step that actually leads to sin, and that's the act of disobedience. So the desire starts here within our hearts. Deception is here with our minds. We don't see the actual consequence, the danger that's ahead. But then the moment that we act on it, 
That's disobedience. That's when the sin is conceived. And that's the language that James uses. And so we need to be careful of that because sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death. And so this is something that James is putting out for us because what I love is that he also reminds us of the goodness of Jesus. We just sang about the goodness of God. The goodness of God is all around us, but sometimes we don't see it. We're so focused on that deception that we don't realize that we have what we need. And God in his goodness provides everything that we need when we need it. So there's no need for us to deceive ourselves and trying to acquire the things that we think we need. Does that make sense? And so let's remember the goodness of Jesus, the goodness of God, and let's trust him because he's constantly giving. He's constantly providing. Even the breath that you're breathing now is a gift from God. And that's his goodness. Amen. And so then James continues, and that's where we are today. I, I needed to give you a little recap so that you guys know where we're at. In regards to trials, in regards to temptation, then there's this thing, self-deception. Today, we're going to finish chapter 1, and we're going to see an emphasis here on the dangers of self-deception. What do I mean by that? I'll give you an example. Some of you guys know me, some of you guys don't. I grew up in a Christian home. My mom and dad, Christians, took me to church. If you would ask me growing up, hey, what are you? What do you follow? I follow Jesus. I'm a Christian. That would be my default answer. And I do believe that many people would say that. But the fact of the matter is, I was a Christian kind of traditionally, culturally. I, I couldn't tell you exactly what the gospel meant to me, other than my mom's a Christian, therefore I am a Christian. My dad proclaims to be a Christian, therefore I am a Christian. That kind of thing. You know, do you, see, do you, you begin to see the self-deception here? But then the moment I got through high school and then into college... That's when I realized, I don't know what I, why I'm a Christian. Like, why are you asking me hard questions, guys? This is really uncomfortable, right? And so I realized that I was self-deceiving. I was deceiving myself in that I thought something of myself, but the fact of the matter is I had no idea why. You know, I could, told, I could have told you I am a Christian because I know what the Bible says. Well, the fact of the matter is I knew some Bible stories, right? In fact, I probably knew a little bit more than Bible stories, but that's it. I just knew it. And therefore, I thought I had it down. You know, and in fact, when uh, my wife and I really just started our ministry um, over, gosh, it's almost 15 years ago now. At that time, when I first started ministry, I thought, oh, I am so good at this. I could be a lead pastor right now. <laughs> I could probably do this better than my pastor today. You know, self-deception. Like sometimes we think of ourselves in a way that is so off from reality. Do you see that? And James is bringing this up today. And he says, hey, don't just be hearers, be doers. So today's about hearing and doing. Because if we do the hearing part but not the doing, we find ourselves being self-deceived. Then we realize, oh, I'm not who I think I am. I'm not where I think I am. In fact, I'm somewhere far from where I should be. And this is the message that James has for us today. Remember James, the brother of Jesus. James, the one who spent time with him. James, the one who was commissioned to be the lead elder, right, of the church in Jerusalem. This man is full of wisdom, and this man is an expert at Christian living. And today, he says, don't just be hearers, but be doers. Now, back in the day, before I get into this passage, I would hear things like things in Matthew 7, 22 and 23. It says this, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? 
And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. When I heard this in the past, guess what? I would think of somebody else before I thought of myself. You workers of lawlessness, that's definitely not me. But if you actually examine my life, I'm allowing you to see this part of my life, you would have found that I surely was a worker of lawlessness. And regardless of what I knew, and regardless of the little things that I did, my life was mostly defined by lawlessness. But it's interesting that when we see these words, we never consider them to ourselves, or at least the immature Christian does not. The one who's self-deceived does not think that for themselves. Do you see what I mean? But the fact of the matter is that most of us, and I'm not pointing fingers because I know that most of you guys are way better than me, are workers of lawlessness, right? Most of us find ourselves in that situation without even knowing it. And, um, you know, it's, it's just so interesting that we're so quick to point, we're so quick to tell people of their issues. You know, Jesus says, hey, look at the log in your eye before you consider the speck of your neighbor, right? The speck, the speck in your neighbor's eye. Like, this is so interesting. Jesus mentions this because it happens all too often. Mature believers, though, they don't fool themselves concerning their Christian walk. They realize their shortcomings and they're quick to admit their needs. A mature believer does that. The mature believer comes to the Lord and says, Lord, I am falling short. I need you. Or he comes to a brother and sister and says, I need help. I need prayer. I'm struggling. That's the fruit of a mature believer. The mature believer doesn't think that they have it all together. In fact, they know that they rely on the strength of Jesus Christ. And mature believer an immature believer deceives himself as described in Revelation 3.12. Look what Revelation 3.12 says. And, and by the way, this is just the intro, not even into the, the passage here yet. It says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. A lot of people live that way. A lot of proclaimers of Jesus live in a way that they feel like, They've got it down. They've arrived, not realizing that they need it all still, right? So let's not fall into that self-deception. God's word through James is to help us not be self-deceived. For one who is mature in their faith not only knows, but is also one who acts. That's the difference maker. Not just to know, but to put into practice the thing that it is that we're learning. Let's look at James chapter 1, 19 through 27. Hearers and doers, it says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive it with meekness, the re the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. 
Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphan, the widows, in their affliction, and to keep oneself stained from the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Father, for this time. Lord, almost daily, I ask you that you would help me be a doer and not just a hearer. And today, we are specifically focusing on that. Lord, I ask, Father, that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word. That we would not just receive it so that we could shelf it or put it on a frame on the wall so it just looks good. But that we would receive it so that we could use it, utilize it, be equipped by it to make a difference, to actually act on it. Lord, help this word be transformative in our lives. And I ask, Father, you would speak through me tonight, today, that it would not be my wisdom, Lord Jesus, whatsoever, but yours, yours alone. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right. So as we go back and break this very practical passage down, I'd like for us to focus on um, what we ought to do as Christ followers and that we would not be self-deceived, okay? Because that's the last thing we want is to kid ourselves. Let's not kid ourselves, right? James says that we ought to be doers and not just hearers. This implies responsibility. You know, remember that, that parable of the talents where the master imparts responsibility to three different men, one, five, one, three, one, one, the, to give that person the ma- for the master to give that person his, his stuff, let's say, his riches, that implies responsibility. Those who receive it have to be responsible with what they've received. So we as Christians, if we receive the word, then we therefore have a responsibility with it, right? And so I want to focus on three ways we need to be responsible towards God's word so that we would not fall into this self-deception of thinking that we've got it all together. The first responsibility is we need to receive the word. We need to receive it. And I'll expound more on that in just a second. We need to practice the word. And we also need to share the word. All right? And I find this very Interesting, but not really, because actually this is where we got our discipleship strategy from. <laughs> if, you, if you look at our discipleship strategy here at, at Way Family Church, it's find the way, walk the way, share the way, right? This is what a complete Christian looks like, someone who's not just a hearer but a doer, and then goes and shares it with others. So this is what we're going to find in this passage. So the first point is this, receive the word. This is the first responsibility that we have as believers. Now, Uh, You might remember in Matthew 13, Jesus shares the parable of the sower. Do you remember that? He talks about different soils, which represent the different conditions of the heart. There's one particular soil that's good, and that's the fertile soil, the one that's ready to receive, right? So that the seed would grow and produce fruit. And so in that sense, we need to prepare our hearts so that when we receive, it has an effect. So the, the heart that received God's word with eagerness that's the one that's going to produce fruit. We need to be quick to hear. Let's read. It says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. That's part of, the rece- of receiving the word is we need to be quick to hear. We need to have our eyes open to what the word of the Lord is saying. You know, often Jesus shared a parable. When he, Jesus shared a parable. Anytime he shared when he said, he who has ears, let him hear. Right? Because we need to be quick to hear. Okay. The word of the Lord is here. It's, he's speaking. Open your ears and let, let us be attentive to what he's saying. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So just as a servant's queer, hear, uh, quick to hear his master's commands, right? 
his requests, we ought to do the same. Now, I'm going to give you a good example found in 2 Samuel chapter 23. Uh, in fact, why don't we look at it really quick? 2 Samuel chapter 23. Yeah, this is, this is in regards to Nathan and David. And David is, is out and he's, he's uh, leading warriors against the, the Philistines. And 14 says, David was in the stronghold of the garrison of the Philistines. Um, of the, of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David longingly, longingly said this, Oh, that some would give, someone would give me a drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Look at 16. Then three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem. That was by the gate. And they carried it and brought it to David. So here's David, King David. And all he says is like, Oh, that water from that well in Bethlehem sounds really good, you know? Now, David was from Bethlehem, so he probably knew exactly what well that was and what, what that water was like, and he was craving it in the moment. And it says that three mighty men, they broke through the enemy lines, and they went and drew water, and they brought it to David. They didn't even ask David. They just heard him. They were quick to hear, right? They were quick to listen to his master's desire. Ah, that sounds good. Let's go. You know, how many times have my children, they've done that before, right? Our children sometimes respond in that way where they're quick to just do something because they want to please mom and dad. You know, sometimes we do that before we even ask to do something. We overhear it and we respond. That's to be quick to listen, right? Um, and so I love, you know, what's interesting is that if, if these mighty men would have asked David, hey, would you like for us to go and get water? He probably would have said no, right? Because you'll see you, if you continue reading, he doesn't drink it. He's like, no, no, no. We, we got we to do this first. But the point is, these men were really quick to listen. And this is the type of listening ears that we have to have. We need to be quick to it. The next thing that we need to do, continue in verse 19, is we need to be slow to speak. Now, you've heard that we have two ears and one mouth, right? Some of us do. Or some of us have two mouths, right? One ear. We have two ears and one mouth. That means that we should listen more than we say things, right? Uh, too many times we argue with God's word. If not, we argue with someone who's reminding us of God's word. Uh, and if we don't argue audibly with someone, sometimes we, uh, we argue within our hearts and in our minds. Uh, you know it. You, sometimes you hear the word of God and you're like, mm, no, I don't want to do that, right? We need to be slow to speak, though. We, don't, we need to be cautious with how do we respond to God's word. Remember, we're receiving it. It's not about... <laughs> us arguing with the Lord in this, in this moment. Proverbs 10, 19 says this. This is the wisdom of the Lord. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. To be prudent is to be practically wise. To actually exercise wisdom. All right? This is interesting. Proverbs 17, 27 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Right. And so let's let's just take that for what it's worth and let's be quick to listen, quick to hear and slow to speak. Let's not respond, because very often some of us are very argumentative. You know, some of us are very witty or some of us will have a response right away, you know, to whatever is being said. And there's a good example of that in Luke chapter 10. Uh, Jesus is sharing, you know, a parable and uh, there's a lawyer who instantly argued against what Jesus was teaching. He says this, and who is my neighbor? Because he desired to justify himself. So he didn't like what Jesus was saying. And so this lawyer instantly said, well, then who's my neighbor? What do you mean? What are the details here? 
Are there clauses? You know, sometimes we try to find that way out. We, we, we are argumentative with what the word says. In Acts 22, verse 22, if you remember our series in Acts, Paul was uh, delivering his defense to those who were accusing of him. There's a great crowd. He's sharing his defense. And it says this in verse 22. Up to this word, they listened to him. It says this. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from earth. So they listened to him. And the moment they raised their voices, the moment they couldn't handle it anymore, handle it anymore, they said something. Do you remember the consequence of this moment? Do you remember the consequence of this outrage? Those words eventually led to physical action. There was violence after they started riling up the people, right? They were not quick to listen to hear. They were quick to speak. And not just that, the way that we responded was in anger, all right? So their shouting eventually led to violence. Have you noticed that sometimes when you're argumentative, when you don't have the patience to listen to someone, it kind of turns into a problem and you're both going at it? That doesn't help anybody, right? God says, hey, be quick to listen, slow to speak, right? And then the next thing, if we continue in verse 19, it says this, and slow to anger. Very, very important. Don't get angry at God or his word, you know? And sometimes, again, we're self-deceived and we think, yeah, I don't get angry at God's word. <laughs> yeah, you know, if, if we really, truly loved God's word, we would be behaving according to God's word. Sometimes we don't like the way that it disciplines us, it corrects us. Sometimes we respond because we are just in such disagreement. Today, it doesn't take much. Just look out in the world. It's full of anger. It's full of hatred. Why? Because of disagreements, because no one is taking the time to listen to the other, uh, generally. Proverbs fourteen twenty nine says this, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Hmm, that's foolishness. Um, do you remember the story when uh, the prophet Nathan addresses David? David sins. He takes Bathsheba as, as his wife, and it's, it's all bad. Uh, in fact, let me take you there. Second Samuel. This is interesting. Uh, chapter 12, 1 through 7. It says this, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan was the prophet after Samuel. He came to him and he said, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and his children. It used to eat his morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. Do you see this, this affection here for this ewe lamb? And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then, then it says, David's listening to the story, right? Then David's anger was greatly kindled against this man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, this man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold. Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. You see David's anger? He's listening to this. You're probably thinking, man, that was so wrong of that rich man to do, right? And then Nathan says, that man is you. Oh, wait a minute. You notice that sometimes we're so quick to get angry at other people. We think what they're doing is wrong. Like, you're really offending me. This, this, you're, you're triggering me, man. 
But the last thing we consider is that that's us. That's what we do. Nathan's, Nathan put, paints a perfect story for David to see this and to realize the problem at hand, right? Just to see that it was his problem. It was him who behaved this way. And eventually you see that David repented. He responded according to this and he was restored. We'll get into that in here in just a second. But this is the point. Sometimes we're so quick to anger, not realizing that we're the first at fault. You know, there's two types of anger. There's definitely that, the, the anger of man, and then there's the anger of God. Let's say the righteous, godly anger. Ephesians talks about that. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. You know, this, this type of anger comes from our love for the Lord and our hatred for the sin. But the problem is that more often than not, we don't respond in a godly anger. We kind of excuse ourselves that is a godly anger, but it's man's anger. <laughs> and, and it says here very clearly in James, the, the, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So put it away. Put it away. Psalm uh, 97.10 says, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of the saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Hate evil. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But the problem is, if we hated evil, we would come to the Lord in repentance, recognizing that we're the first to, to be evil. You know, if we really hated that, we would have a problem with our own selves and we'd be asking the Lord to help us, to grow us. We wouldn't be pointing our fingers at somebody else. You see that? So more likely than not, it is our own anger that is surfacing and then we think we're okay by it. That's self-deception. This is exactly what James is warning us against. Our love for the Lord prevents us from retaliating. It prevents us from sinning. If we hate sin and we've loved the Lord, then we're going to keep from sinning. We're not going to go and do a sinful thing. You see that? And so, again, the problem is we're often displaying man's anger and not a godly anger. And then James says in verse 20 that this anger does not produce the righteousness of God. In fact, this anger towards people, to circumstance, to the words of God is the opposite of the patience that God wants to produce in our lives as we mature in Christ. And then verse 21 says this, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive it with meekness. Receive the implanted word with meekness, which is able to save your soul. So see, James is kind of painting this picture. He says implanted word of God. So if you can just imagine like a flower bed, for those of us who did the garden project just down here, you know, we had to clear the weeds of these garden beds before we, we put the good seed in there, right? We had to pull the things. In fact, we didn't just find weeds in those garden beds. We found hives. We, find, we found all kinds of weird things, you know, that were hiding in there. Nobody even knew that those were in there. This James is saying, clean it out. He says, get rid of those things. Those things are like the weeds and those hives that you find in those flower beds. Clean it out so that you can receive the implanted word of God. Do you see, do you see the, the picture here? And so what we need to do in order to well receive the word of God is to prepare ourselves, to pull the weeds out and prepare the soil for the implanted word. Too often we try to receive God's word with unprepared hearts. We think, oh God, what are you saying to me? But we're far from actually being prepared to receive it. There's so many things, you know, that parable of the soils, there's the, the weeds and the thorns that choke out the seed, the fruit, right? And so it's never able to produce. We need to clean that out so that the seed, the implanted word of God in us is able to produce so that we're actually able to act on what we're receiving. 
So let's clean it out. So let's prepare our hearts. How do we do that? Start with confession. Go to the Lord and be specific. Ask him for forgiveness. Be real. Stop being self-deceived. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The next thing we need to do to prepare is to meditate in God's love and grace and ask him to remove any hardness within because sometimes our hearts are hardened towards God's word. We don't even realize it. Jeremiah 4, 3 says, For thus says the Lord to men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Let's clean it up. Let's soften it up. Let's ask the Lord, Lord, give me a heart of flesh. Allow me to receive of your word that it would produce in me, that I would show myself to be different, to actually behave differently, not just know something. And then verse 21, if we keep reading, it says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive it with meekness. When you receive it with meekness, you accept it. You don't argue with it. You honor it as the word of God. You actually set yourself aside and you realize, wow, this is the authority and the wisdom of God. It probably is better than I can even imagine it. Whatever I'm arguing against, I'm probably wrong. And let me just cross off the word probably and just say you're wrong. All right? God's word is definitely true and right for you, and there's really nothing to argue. We ought to receive it with meekness. Let's not deceive ourselves in thinking that we've got it down. Continue, continue to receive the word of God. That's the first responsibility that we have to God's word, to be able to receive it. The second responsibility is to practice it. Okay, now we have it. Now let's do something about it. It's not enough to just hear the word, but we must put it into practice. So please don't think that just because you get a good sermon or because you're part of a good Bible study that you're growing. How many of you guys think that you're growing because you get good sermons and good Bible studies? I'm glad that you don't think that because you hearing is actually not what produces growth. That's just the seed so that you can grow. You doing is what produces growth. Okay, but we can't do unless we've received the instructions, right? Unless we have that roadmap, unless we have the instructions, then we can act. But the moment that we act is the moment that we are displaying the growth that comes from hearing the word. And so practice the word. You know, it's, it's not just the hearing, it's the doing that brings growth. So now James compares the word of God, and you'll see here, to a mirror. Let's look at verse 23. It says this, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Ooh, a mirror. You know, I, I, I researched passages. Like, what passages kind of compare the word to a mirror? I found three. This one in James, one in Exodus, and one in 2 Corinthians. And when I look back, step back and consider, okay, what's going on here? Compared to a mirror, do you know the function of a mirror? The, the, the mirror has a very, very particular, like we have mirrors for a reason, right? The first function of the mirror, and if you compare it to the word of God, is examination is that you could be able to examine yourself, right? And so the word does that. When we put the word in front of us, we can examine ourselves. And so that's what we need to, to do is we need to use the word of God as we would use a mirror and examine ourselves. We look in the mirror, we look at God's words and we see ourselves and who we really are. We see God's holiness and we realize, oh, there's a problem with me, right? Oh, there's some stuff that I need to take care of. Maybe it's an eye booger, you know? What are you going to do if you see that? Do you just look at it and then walk away and forget that you have it there? A lot of us actually do that, spiritually speaking, right? 
But instead, we need to act on it. We actually need to do something. But the Word does that. It reveals the things that need to be taken care of, uh, take, taking care of in us. You know, like when my wife talks to her sister on FaceTime, I don't know, you guys, you ladies might relate to this because I think it's the most hilarious thing. Anytime they, they open up FaceTime, the moment their scene shows up, instantly, oh, ooh, you know, you see yourself and you realize there's problems here and I got to fix it, right? It's, it's so funny, but it would be terrible if you see that your hair sticking out there and you're like, nah, like what kind of person does that, right? But we do that a lot when the word reveals things in us. We're just like, and eh, no one will notice, right? But that's the function of the mirror is for us to be able to examine ourselves, to look intently at it. It's like uh, when you read a chapter of your Bible each day and you're not seeing what should be changing you. That means you're just walking away from that mirror. If you have, um, if you just read it because you've checked out check marks, like I just have to read my Bible today and you don't remember what you read, that's what James is talking about. It's like looking in the mirror and just being, oh well, moving on, right? No, we need to really examine the scriptures. We really need to see what is the Lord saying and how should it be changing me? This is the function of a mirror. This is what the word does for us. The, it, it, uh, the other function of the mirror is restoration. And that comes after realizing, okay, I have a problem. I have that eye booger. What are we going to do? We're going to restore the face and we're going to take it off, right? My hair's everywhere. We're going to restore the dew, right? Now we're restored. That's what the scriptures does. So we, we are examined where the, the problem is revealed, but it's not just for that sake to shame us, but to restore us, that we may come and be restored to the fullness of God, right? We don't want to be like he who looks at himself in the mirror, leaves and then once forgets. Do you, do you understand what James is saying now? It's like, no wonder we don't act. No wonder we don't do things. We don't even know what to do. You know, we're faced with a situation. It's like, what am I supposed to do? I forget what the Bible says. Let's not be that, right? Let's examine the scriptures so that we have the proper response and so that we respond. We actually do something about it so that we can be restored to the image of Christ, to the, the, the person that Christ wants us to be. You know, and that comes from Exodus, that restoration part. Exodus 38, 8, we talk, the, there's talk about the basin that's set up in the tabernacle. This basin was designed uh, for the, the priests to wash their hands. Did you know that it was built of mirrors? It was bronze and mirrors that the priests would see their filth. They would come, wash themselves, and therefore be restored right? There's this cleansing of the water that restores us, that cleans us, that purifies us. And so the word does that. It washes us. It's, it's, it's a refreshing, cleansing thing that brings us purity, right? But we do that when we actually step into it on our restored and allow the word of God to make that difference in our life. John 15, 3 says, already you, have, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You know, we're cleansed when we put the word into practice. We're cleansed, right? When we uh, accept the gift of salvation, we're instantly cleansed. You know, and then there's a, a beautiful picture of Peter, not Peter, Jesus, going and washing his disciples' feet, right? They're constantly cleansed because we're also constantly defiled when we walk around. Our hands get dirty, our feet get dirty. We need to constantly be in this state of cleansing, of learning, right? I'm going to move forward here. And then it continues to say uh, that we need to be restored, right? So the, the, there's the examination, the restoration, and then there's a transformation that comes after that, right? So you look at the mirror, you see the problem, 
you fix the problem, you're restored, and then bam, you're transformed, right? After that restoration, then you have that image that's presentable, right? That's what the Word of God does for our lives. And so let's consider that. The one who looks preserves that, that, that passage in verse 25. Let's look at it right here. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, that's to uh, continue doing. That's what perseverance means, right? You're going to continue moving. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. That blessing is that transformation, that transforming thing. It is Christ's righteousness in us. Now it is no longer our sin that God sees, but his righteousness, right? Because we've been washed, we've been covered by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Isn't that cool? And so let's be transformed. That transformation thing we see is in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree to glory to the other for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See this is God's grace in us that he's changing us, he's transforming us to be more like him, this Christ-likeness. You know and 25 says blessed are those in his doing, in his doing, not just hearing, the doing part is the thing that really brings the change. And then the final thing that we need to do, so we have we, have, we need to receive the word. We need to practice the word, right? Practice is actually going through that, that transformation process. And then finally, we need to share it. Um, and of course, look at 26 here. If anyone thinks he is religious, this word religious, let me define it for you. This word religious means devoted to a practice. It's an outward practice. So if any of you thinks he's practicing, doing, and does not bridle his tongue but receives or deceives, excuse me, his heart, this person's religion is worth it. This person's practice is worth it. If it is, is, sorry, worthless. In other words, if you say you live a Christian life, but you don't respond in Christ-likeness, and if you think you're doing something simply because you know a thing or two about God's word, you know a few Bible stories, but when the rubber hits the road, you speak things that you shouldn't speak, like Jesus definitely wouldn't say that, you're self-deceiving you. So you're not actually practicing the word. Therefore, whatever you are doing is worthless. Does that make sense? If you're not doing what the word is asking of us to do, then whatever it is that you're doing means nothing, literally. So this is what he's saying. And so let's not, again, be self-deceived. And as I mentioned, our discipleship strategy is that. You know, to understand the word of God, to find the word, the word, the way, right? To walk it, live it, exemplify it. And so that when you share it, it actually means something. Otherwise, people are just going to think of you as a hypocrite. You say one thing, but you sure don't act it, right? It's important for us to be able to live it according to God's word. That's what's going to make the change. You know, you may be somebody's only glimpse of Christ. You may be somebody's only representation here on earth of Christ. Can you, can you imagine that? And so think about that. That means that your, your speech matters. The way you communicate matters. The way you respond to circumstances matters. It means that your service matters. The way that you serve one another matters. And it means that your separation for the world, from the world also matters. And that's the final verse, 27. It says, religion, which means outward practice that is pure and undefiled before uh, God the Father is this. 
And this is, again, to share, to do, to serve, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the word, to be different. Remember Peter called us to be different? He said, be holy for he is holy. Be set apart. Don't be stained by this world. It's, it's kind of weird to say, hey, you shouldn't cuss when you're cussing amok. You know what I mean? Like being set apart really matters as far as how we share Christ to others. And so with that, let me just give you the practical takeaways, because this is all about doing and not just hearing. So what are we going to do now? The first thing is we should continually prepare our hearts and minds to receive from God. That means today, right now, whenever, start clearing that, that flower bed, right? That garden bed. Deal with the things that you have to deal with. Take the weeds out, pull them out. The hardened soil, soften it out. Get that, 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 that uh, tiller going, right? And soften it up so that you're ready to receive. So prepare your hearts and mind to receive from the Lord. God is talking to us, and most of the time we don't even know it. We don't even realize that the Lord is speaking to us. We're not prepared for it. We're not ready for it. Let's do that. Let's prepare. Matthew 5, 8 says this. This is beautiful from Jesus. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, those who are clean, right? Who are ready to receive, who have cleaned out the flower beds. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amazing. The next takeaway. Quit, quit, quit kidding yourself and put God's word to practice. Do it, right? Second Timothy says uh, this in chapter 2, 15. Do your best to present yourself, to present yourself, to stand out, right? To God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So you receive the word of truth, you handle it, you do it, you act on it, you live it. Practice, practice the word of God, all right? Don't kid yourself. Don't think that you've arrived. There's more to be done. And then the third and final thing that I want to share with you is share the love of God that you've experienced with others, all right? It doesn't stop with you. Yes, thank the Lord that you get to experience his loving grace, but share with others, you know, serve one another, love one another, look out for the needs of one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. This is what we've been called to do anyway. Matthew 28, 19 says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is what it's all about, is actually sharing the good news with others, sharing Christ with others. But again, you cannot be effective in doing that if you're hypocritical about it, right? And so let's quit kidding ourselves, right? Let's not think that we've got it. Let's not point our fingers and respond in anger, not realizing that there's work to be done in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. We give you all honor and glory today. We, we just ask, Father, that really you would help us apply this, that we would not be hypocritical in what you have assigned us here, Lord Jesus. We do want to uh, exemplify you. We do want to represent you well, Father. Help us, Lord Jesus, clean the things out that we need to clear out. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us, that you would really soften us our heart, Lord Jesus, that we would receive from your word. Lord, I'm sorry, Father, that we put excuses all the time. We think, no, that's, that doesn't apply to me, Lord. Just convict us of that and encourage us, Lord Jesus, to be able to receive the word that we may do it that we would just not know it, but that we would find, Lord, those moments in where we need to act it out, we need to step out and be a good example, be that salt and light that you've called us to be, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we thank you, Father, uh, for the opportunity that we have to just encourage one another, that we're able to gather together in your name. And Lord, we ask, Father, that you would continue to equip us as well 
to make a difference to those who are looking for you, who are longing for you, who are needing answers, Lord Jesus. And you, our Father, are that way, that truth, Lord Jesus, that life that we so desperately crave and need, Father. And so, Lord, help us be doers and not just hearers. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.